Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly, eagerly awaiting for, waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks' foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not, 
to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. That, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in Yahweh. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. We finished our series in the book of Acts last week, um, and as we talked about going through the book of Acts, we saw how God used the apostles, specifically we saw Peter and then Paul, but others as well, to proclaim the message of the gospel, not only in Jerusalem and all Judea, but also in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world, in giving then um, people a message of hope a message of salvation and redemption. In that message, in that message of good news, intertwined within, the, if you would, the message of salvation is the, the concept of sanctification. We're going to spend, Lord willing, today and next week going through the, the concept of sanctification. What does that mean? What does it mean to be called to be sanctified or called to be set apart? Um, if you took the sermon note sheet, then you have the, the outline for the next two weeks. Okay, so Lord willing, it's all done for the next two weeks. Don't bet on it. But anyways, theoretically, that's, that's the outline, okay? And I've spent a lot of time this week just being overwhelmed with what God has done for me, for us. But even if you didn't exist, he did it for me. And that's kind of where I want to just make you just think about it as, you're coming through, as we're coming through this thing that God loves you so much that he did this for you. So the fact that, then, sanctification and salvation is intertwined, and the reality that you don't really enter the process of sanctification until you have come into the agreement of salvation, if you would, it's important for us to, to go through the process of salvation. What is it? If you have your summer note sheet, you have um, at the top in the introduction this little note, if you would, regarding salvation, okay? Uh, it's not really little. And so I'm going to go through it as it is right there. So if you have that, we're going to go through it. And this is going to become an all-play message, okay? And so we have lots of verses to go through, okay? And so instead of me reading it and helping you have a good nap, we're actually going to come around the, the and, and everybody have a part in, in uh, reading a verse. And I don't care whether you're reading it, what version you're reading it, okay? So we use New King James as kind of our, our, our standard, but that we're not New, New King James only, nor are we only New King James. Does that make sense? Okay. So um, we have the mics coming this way. Can, tell you what, let me come get them. Okay. And uh, we're going to pass these out. Let's drive everybody on the tape. Um, like, where is he walking to? Um, okay, Steve, you want to handle this one? Okay, so what I want to do, so hopefully you have the sermon note sheet. I'm going to, um, Marinus, can I get you to hold this one for a second? Okay. Um, I want to pass these verses out real fast. Okay, so if you're looking at your sheet, okay, so um, we're going to actually start reading the verses at the, the second paragraph there, First uh, Timothy 2, 3 to 6. So what I want to do, John, I'm going to ask you to volunteer, okay? You going to volunteer? Yeah, good, good. And what I'd like to do, for the sake of the mic, is to come down this way, and then come down this way. Does it make sense? 
Okay, that'll help it, the, the thing going on. So are you willing to do 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 6? Okay, okay. Um, so uh, it's on your sermon note sheet. No, no, so if you've got a small one, oh, Bob did not print the addendum. I was running really late this morning, y'all. There is an addendum. Okay, so you don't have that if you have the, the small sheet. There is an addendum. You'll have it next week. It's in my computer, but it will not be in your hands today. Okay, so if you have a large print, you have it actually on, on the top, okay? Uh, no, no, you just remember the, and I'll, I'll tell you when we come to it, okay? So you're good. Um, so you have 1 Timothy 2, 3 to 6, okay? You guys willing? Yes? Uh, yeah. yeah, okay. So, um, so take David, 1 John 2, 1 and 2, okay? And then Gail, if you don't mind taking 1 John 4, verse 10, and then verse 14, okay? We'll skip John 3, 16, since we all know that. We'll quote it together. Okay. You heard, okay. Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16. Shireen, you good? Hebrews 9, verses 11 and 12, okay? Coming to the next, okay, which, which of your teens are willing? Okay, Silas, take Acts 20, 28, okay? Any other teens in that row willing? No, no, in this row here, take Zane, for Titus 2, 14, I think it's next, okay? Then the next line, I saw you girls, so uh, Kaylee Rain, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Aaliyah, 1 Peter 2, 22 to 24, is your hand up, Marlis? Okay. 1 John 3, 5. Okay. All right. Next line. Okay. Jose, you want to read one? No. Okay. Next line, John. Or John, Daniel. Yes. yes. Good. Okay. John 6, 44. At least I didn't call you Bob. I mean, I would have been, you know, call your dad. Alyssa, will you take one? Okay. That's right. Good. All right. So we got that coming up this way. Anybody up in the first row? All right. Take John 12, 32. Okay, next row. Yes, John 16, verses 7 to 15. You got a long one. Okay, isn't, isn't that how that works out, right? You got the longest one. Okay, anybody else in that row? John 16, 7 to 15. Okay, David. Um, Acts 16, 30 to 31. So I'll have to remember that for have you read that, okay? And then anybody else in that line? Yes, Romans 10, 9 and 10. Okay. Yep, yep, you might be able to quote that. Okay, okay. Yes, no, 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 yes, yes, yes. Okay, next line, Tucker. Okay, John 6, 28, 29. Okay, Todd, Ephesians 1, 11 to 14. Okay. Um, Kent, yes? Okay. Coming back, Tony. Okay, Romans 8, 28 to 30. Okay. Coming back further, Caleb, yeah? Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. I lost myself. Yeah. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. Okay. And then coming back, Christina, yes? John 10, 27 to 30. Okay. All right, coming, Marcia. Matthew 13, 23. Chuck, John 15, 1 to 5. Ted, are you good? Yeah. Hebrews 13, four, three, 14. That's, that's my hard, hard part. I'm going to give somebody a wrong verse. You know, what are you reading? What you told me to read? Okay, and then one more back there, Kathy. 3, 14. 
And then, are you good, Kathy? First Peter 1, 3 to 5. Three to five, okay? Good, all right. So, in the beginning, God created, I don't remember hitting the button, anyways, but we're there. So, in the beginning, God what? Oh, we have more copies of the, of the uh, so if anybody wants the large print edition, you can have it, okay? Thank you, Mark. Okay, so yeah. Okay, hold them out. So, oh, what's happening here? I, I got to go. Can you take me back to the first for slide? Did I hit the button? Okay. So in the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, okay? So I'm going to go as he's talking, okay? And as God created, okay, uh, he made man in his image and in his likeness. And we're told in Genesis chapter 1 that when he made man, he made man um, male and female. So literally, it's not... He made the male, male and female, but he made mankind, male and female. And when he made the mankind, he made them in his image and in his likeness. That's important for us to understand, okay? That when God created man, mankind was different than all of other creation, okay? Because only mankind was created in his image and in his likeness. Does anybody else want a sheet before? before? Okay, anybody else want one? Okay, because we're going through that top part. Okay, all right, here we go. So, so God created man in his image and in likeness, okay? And so um, God took then man, just singular, the individual Adam, and he placed him in the garden and told Adam to tend the garden. And he told Adam that he could eat from any tree of the garden that he wanted to eat from except for one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then God looked at man and said, It's not good for man to be alone, but I will make him a helpmeet. And the next thing he did was he brought all the animals to him. So he could name all the animals, and he could realize that he actually had a need. And so then he put man, Adam, asleep. And from that, he brought and made then Eve. Okay. So chapter 2 gives us a greater description of what happens in Genesis chapter 1, when we're told in day 6, when God created male and female in his image and likeness. Well, now he tells us how he did it, okay? First, he formed man from the dust of the earth. He put man in the garden. This is all happening in the first, or that 24-hour that period, right? The sixth day of creation. And then, then God makes the woman, okay? Now we go into chapter 3. Because in the garden, as well, there was a serpent. And the serpent came, and, and he... And he spoke to Eve, and he says to Eve, has God said to you that you, sh you cannot eat from any tree in the garden? And Eve said, no, 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 that's not the case. We're allowed to eat from any tree we want to, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for the day we eat of it, we shall surely die. Which tells us that she was told by Adam what the rules were, okay? Satan now seeks to deceive her. We don't know it yet at this point in Genesis chapter 3, but we read about it later. Satan has always, had already fallen. He had already chosen to dis rebel against God, and now he's seeking to bring other people down with him. And so he comes to Eve, and he, and he says to Eve, it's not the way it's going to be. Rather, look at this tree. This tree has great fruit on it. It's, it's, it's going to be helpful for you to be able to eat, and the day you eat of it, really your eyes are going to be open, and you're going to become like God, and God doesn't want that to happen. 
And that's why he doesn't look from that tree. I'm paraphrasing. But you get it, right? And so Eve looks at the tree, and she says what? Wow, it's a good tree. It's, 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 it's good-looking food. It's good to eat. And it's able to make one wise. Before she bit the fruit, she bit the lie. And so she bought, bought the story. She took of the fruit. She ate of it. She gave to her husband with her. And in that moment, sin entered into the world. And note, I changed the color of the people, but I also changed the color of the heart. They went from being made in the image and likeness of God, having fellowship with God, to now all of a sudden, death had entered into the world. Death is separation. And now man and woman were separated from God. That's why the bar's there. And now their heart has been changed. The condition of man now is altered. They were innocent. They were pure. They were made fully in the image and likeness of God. But now that image has been corrupted. And we have now the corruption of man. But God still what? He loves man. But man is incapable of coming to him. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you want to get to heaven on your own, you can. You can't, but you can't. Hear what I'm going to say. A lot of you are going, oh, what's he going to say? Listen to what I'm going to say. You have to be as perfect as God. The only way you can get to heaven is to be as perfect as God. But James chapter 1, or James 2, verse 10 says that when you offend the law at one point, you're guilty of, of it all. That's why we're told that all there is none that are righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is not an individual on the face of the earth who has never sinned. Have you ever disobeyed your mom or dad? Put up your hand. Have you ever disobeyed your mom or dad? In that moment, you become a what? A sinner. I, I mean, we can talk about a lot of other things, but right now you've confessed to me that you're a sinner, and therefore you're guilty of the law. Therefore you are separated from God by your own admission. And man by himself, his righteousness is like a filthy rag compared to God's. And man can't then attain unto God on their own. But the Father what? The Father loves. The Father loves the creation which he has made. And he wants, he desires for us to be brought into then this right fellowship with him. John three sixteen. you can all quote together, right? For God so loved the world, okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so also then, we're told that he loves all of them. So we start with you, John, if I remember right. First Timothy 2, 3 to 6. 3 to 6? 3 through 3, 4, 5, 6. Okay. 3 to 6. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified, 
testified in due time. So who does he want to be saved? Who does God want to be saved? All men. All men. He desires all men to be saved. All people. That's exactly right. It's, it's mankind there. Okay, good. Okay. Pass it back. Okay. That's then why he sent his son. Why he sent his son to be the payment for um, our sins, to pay the penalty of our sins so that we can come to the knowledge of the truth. So 1 John 2, 1 and 2. I am, uh, sorry, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Okay, 1 John 4 and 14. 1 John 4, 10, and this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And 1 John 4, 14, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. So God loves everyone. He desires for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So he sends Jesus then into the world to be the propitiation, the payment. We'll talk about that a little bit later when we get into the concept of sanctification. But he becomes the legal payment for your sins. Only a perfect sacrifice, one who has lived a perfect life, which you haven't done, only one who is able to do that is only one who can live the perfect life can make the perfect payment. The Father sent the Son then to be the Savior of the world. And he was the payment not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so when he did that then in the plan of God, God the Son came to the earth. He grew, was tempted in every way such as we are, Yet he was without sin. Did I give you Hebrews 4, 14 to, 14 to 14? Okay. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but, we, but was in all points temp, tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So Jesus was tempted in every way, such as we are, yet without sin. So as the perfect man, he willingly offered himself as a sacrifice on our behalf to not only pay the penalty of our sins, Hebrews 9, verse 11 and 12. When Christ came as wait, 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 is she on? Okay, go ahead, sorry, do it again. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and, the, and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Okay, Acts 20, 28. Therefore, attention to yourselves and to all the folks in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which 
he obtained with his own blood. So who obtained the church, Silas, with his own blood? God. God. Yeah, it very clearly says that God purchased us with his own blood. Good, okay. Zane, you have then Titus 2.14? Titus 2.14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So Christ came to the earth to pay the penalty for our sins because the blood of bulls and goats wasn't able to do that. But only the blood of one who was perfect could obtain the perfect redemption, the perfect uh, salvation. So that's why Jesus came and he did this, okay? But not only did he come to pay the penalty of our sins, but he also came to destroy the very sin on the altar of the cross. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. That's at the, at the end. There we go. Yeah. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So for our sake, God the Father made God the Son who knew no sin, because he was perfect, right? He was tempted in every way such as we are, yet without sin. So God the Father made God the Son, who knew no sin, become sin. He became our sin. Do you get that? At that moment on the cross, Jesus became sin. If you've been here long enough, you know, I'd love to share that. Can I use you again? I think I've used you before in this way. But in the Old Covenant, when the sacrifice was made for your sins, you would take the bullock, the lamb, and the person who was offering the sacrifice would go, and they would lay their hands upon the bullock, and they would confess their sins, their transgression. At that moment, legally binding, their sin was transferred to that bullock, to that sacrifice. That bull, that lamb, didn't just pay the penalty of their sins, but at that moment, it became their sins, and when it was killed and when it was offered, their sin was destroyed from the presence of God. Jesus is that everlasting bull. Not only did blood pay the penalty of my sins, but at that moment of salvation, what happens when you, you lay your hands, if you would, on the heads of Jesus, and you confess your sin, what it is that is separating you from God, and at that moment he becomes that sin. So that's Second Corinthians five twenty one, First Peter two twenty two to twenty four. He committed no sin; neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was revealed, he did not reveal in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Okay, first John three five. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. So when Christ came, part of dying on the cross was to take away the power of sin and sin in you. But man, in his self centered sin, is still unable on his own to grasp that great love and sacrifice that was freely made on their behalf. So the second part of God's plan was to draw men to himself. See, man, even though Jesus came, man is still inhibited by his sinful heart in order to get to the Father. He can't go on his own. He will not seek God on his own. So even though God the Father 
has made the plan. He sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. The world, on its own, still will not seek after Christ. So the second part of God's plan now was to draw men to himself. In fact, God's word declares that no one can come to him unless the Father draws him. John 6.44. John 6.44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come to Christ. So the reality is that all these people are here, and no one can come unless the Father draws him, brings him, because man in and of himself will not do that. But I find it exciting, very exhilarating and exciting, that God still desires all men to be, what? Saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so Jesus also declared in John 12, verse 32, But I... When I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. So Jesus said, when I am lifted up from the earth, just pass it back that way. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. The word draw, there's the exact same word is used in John chapter 6. No one can come unless the Father draws them. Jesus says, but when I am lifted up, you can either talk about the crucifixion or you can talk about the ascension, whichever way you want to go with it. I opt for the crucifixion when he was raised up that way. When I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Well, how does he do that? How does that then accomplished? That drawing is accomplished. Oops, sorry. Are we off my slide or... There we go. It's accomplished by, then, the working of the Holy Spirit. Each, asp, each phase of the Godhead is involved in this process of salvation. So, the drawing is accomplished with the work of the Holy Spirit by the convicting of... Well, in fact, I'll just let you read it first, and then we'll come back to it. So, John 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to, the father, go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you unto into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you of things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. Good. So, when the Holy Spirit comes, it was profitable for them, for Jesus to leave. For when the Holy Spirit came, what would he do? He would convict the world of sin, righteousness, judgment, or righteousness, sin, and judgment. That the work of the Holy Spirit then is to convict man, conscience, whatever you want to call that, to come inside man, convict man, that they are sinful and they cannot attain God on their own. Um, the decision of man then, 
God has, man has a decision to make. Um, when or as the Holy Spirit convicts them of their sin, God's righteousness, and the pending judgment, will they humble themselves and trust God? Paul was asked plainly, what must I do to be saved? So Acts 16, 30, 31. Did I give that to somebody? Okay. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your house. So the, the question was asked plainly, what should I do to be saved? The, the answer was given plainly. Believe in Jesus Christ. It's that simple. It is that simple. Isn't that amazing? I mean, we're talking about this whole thing of salvation, and we're going to come to this one point, and that's it. The climax is right here. What, what do I need to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. That's simple. It's just simple. In fact, Romans 10 then, 9 and 10 tells us, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, leading to righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, leading to salvation. It just happens. It happens in your heart. And I remember the day that I was saved. I was in my bed. God had revealed to me that I was a sinner. I was wicked. I couldn't even live to my own standards. And I was going to hell at that moment. At that very moment, I knew my heart was about ready to burst. And if I died at that moment, I was going to hell. I know, you're not supposed to say that word, right? But that's where I was going. And I realized at that moment that I needed to, what? Call unto the Lord. I rolled on my, Marsha's in bed. Bob's, can I help you? Is that kind of something to help? I don't know if you remember that. Anyways, and I said, there's nothing you can do. And I rolled out of my bed. I went into our den. We had papas on chairs. And I curled up in my papas on chair and I cried my eyes up before God and I said, God, if you save this wicked soul, I'm yours. Do you know when I was saved? When I rolled out of my bed. I'm convinced when I rolled out of my bed is when I was saved. The decision was made. At that moment, I was humbled. And because in my heart I believed, what then happened? I confessed with my mouth. If you really believe it in your heart, what's going to happen? It's going to come out your mouth. Praise God, it hasn't stopped. <laughs> Does that make sense? Okay. So, Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells me that, right? So, that happens. And what happens? There are people then who what? Who believe. They believe in their hearts. They confess with their mouth. God makes the way then for them to enter, to come into his presence. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, and we're told that the Holy Spirit then seals them. Um, when a man chooses by faith to trust in the work of God, John 6, 29, who has that? Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he sent. So it's not my work. So it's a hard thing to remember, but I didn't do anything at that moment. When I believed, there was no work. It was God's work. That's what Jesus said. This is the work that you believe. God did all the work. I did nothing. All I did was laying in my bed and the Holy Spirit beating on me. Does that make sense? While I was laying there, I did what? I believed. I believed. Now, that's what I'm saying. I don't think it was rolling out of the bed. I don't think it was going into the... You know, those were not my works to get me to the point of salvation. Does it make sense? All I did was submit. Submit to the plan of God. Submit to the hand of God. It's God's work. Okay? Um, when it happened, 
happens. I trust in the word of God. I'm sealed and I'm set apart by God, Ephesians 1, 11 to 14. In him, we also have been made an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, to the end that, he, that we who first have hoped in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, after listening to the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, unto the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. So when I'm sealed, I'm then also set apart. That's the concept, concept of sanctification that we're going to be getting to. God's plan, God's purpose from all of eternity is to take the people who come to him and have them be set apart. That's his plan from all of eternity. That's his purpose, to set us apart. That was according to his predestined purpose for those who would believe to be conformed to the likeness of his son, Romans 8, 28 and 30, 2, 30. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So God's predestined purpose then for me, for you, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, is to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's what he called you to do. But none of that, we are then given, as an individual, we're sealed by God, sealed by the Holy Spirit, we're left in the world to do what? To represent him. And so that consecration, sanctification process continues while we're here on the earth. Um, But he is the guarantee, while I'm here, of the inheritance which I'm going to receive later on. So uh, Ephesians, and we did that one. Oh yeah, so while I'm on the earth, right, I'm, I'm inundated. John, Jesus declared that once an individual was in, in his or his father's hand, there was nothing that could take them out of it. While I'm on the earth, I'm going to be what? I'm going to be tried, I'm going to be tested, I'm going to be um, the, the, the things that I can fall away. Make sense? But Jesus said that that was impossible. John 10, 27 to 30. I did. He no, he, I thought he read Ephesians. He wrote it down twice in the book. Oh, I did. Okay, so go ahead and read it again. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is guaranteed of our inheritance until we accept, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So I'm sealed and I'm guaranteed. So let's continue reading John 10 then, because the same thing. So John 10, 27 to 30. Hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So my sheep... What did Jesus give them, Christina? What does it say that Jesus gave his sheep? His voice? No, no. So my sheep hear my voice. I know okay. them, they follow me, and I give oh, to them. eternal life. What does he give them? Eternal life. What kind of life? Eternal. Eternal life. 
I, this is a big deal. It's not just between me and her. It's for everybody. I, I, I want people to get this. This is huge. I have eternal life right now. I'm not looking forward to getting it. I have it. It's been a while since I did it. Some of you, you are going to get this. How many people, how many can, here can see me? Can you see me? Put your hand up. And if you've been here long enough, you know the right answer. The right answer is, what? You can't see me. You're wrong. You don't see me. If you cut off, this is my, my Monty Python moment, okay? If you cut off my arms, and me, it's really a flesh wound, right? And you cut off my arms, you cut off my legs, now I'm just a stump of a man. I'm bobbing because I'm Bob, okay? Am I still me? Get back out! That's right. Am I still me? The answer is yes. You cut off my arms, you cut off my legs, you burn me in a fire so I don't look like this anymore. Am I still me? Yeah, of course I am. Because I, yes! Because I live inside this tent. We judge books by the cover. That's a cliche, isn't it? But we do it with people. We look at the tent. I don't believe in black people, brown people, purple people, green people. I believe in people who are made in the image and likeness of God. That's exactly right. Do you get it? There's no, I mean, we, we make all these divisions. But God made every single one of us in his image and in his likeness. I'm a spirit being. And when I come to Jesus and I become his sheep, he gives me at that moment eternal life. Eternal life. What's eternal? Never ending. If I can lose it on my own, if somebody can snatch it from me, it wasn't eternal. Does that make sense? This is a statement about God, not about Bob. If you could take it from me or I could lose it on my own, Jesus lied. Because he didn't give it to me. He gave me potential life. But he said, no one can snatch them out of my hand. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. It's a big deal in me. Sorry. That's huge. I lost where I'm at now. Okay. So, right. No one can take it out of it, right? Those who truly believe and trust in God for the salvation, for, for salvation, and are not trusting in their own righteousness, that's a big deal, right? Okay. Because there's a lot of people who come, and they're really trusting in themselves. They're looking for fire insurance. They don't really mean it. Those who truly believe and trust in God for their salvation and are not trusting in their own righteousness will become fruitful. Matthew 13, verse 23. Did I give that up? Yes. Okay. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So there are four hearts, four soils of the heart. There's the, 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 the hardened heart, there's the stony heart, there's the, the um, thorny heart, and then there's the good heart. The word of God is being broadcasted and spread, and it's going to hit each one of the hearts. 
But when it hits the good heart and it goes in there, what happens? It bears John 15, 1 to 5. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So whoever is in me, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you are in me, what is true? You will bring forth fruit. You will. I mean, that's a fact. If you are a child of God, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you're in the vine, you will bring forth fruit. Apart from him, you do nothing. There's always a challenge, y'all. What fruit are you? What soil are you? Are you the good soil? Some 100, some 60, some 30. It's different size. But they all do what? Bear fruit. Okay? So those, though, who are trusting in themselves, okay, they're not going to become fruitful. But those who are trusting in Christ, right, they're fruitful, and they'll hold then the confession of their faith till the end. Hebrews 3, verse 14. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original convictions firmly to the very end. So in that passage that's being talked about, okay, it's talking about Jesus being our rest, we know that we have become partakers of Christ if we hold firm our conviction to the very end. You don't know, straight up, you don't know if I'm really saved. You're not inside my heart. You don't know. I know. I believe I know. Does that make sense? Okay? But you don't really know. And I look out and I see, well, yeah, oh, save her, save, save her. Maybe not save. No, but it was just joking. You know, you're, just, you're going on. I don't know, but God does. Do you know when you know that they knew that they knew that they knew? When they died. They held firm that. And you have seen, I'm sure as well as I have seen, individuals who have what? Turn from the faith. Well, according to God's word, that's because they never what? They were never his. They looked good on the outside. They seemed like it. But on the inside, their heart was still wrong. And they didn't have fellowship with God. I want you to let that sink in for a moment. The guy that God used to take me to church, to where I would hear the gospel, and how I would get saved. Got saved several years after I did. Are you tracking with me on that one? The guy who took me to the church, because he was saved, got saved several years after I got saved. Because his life never changed. He was also the guy that helped me confirm that I wasn't living to my own standards. He was the guy that took me TDY and showed me what TDY was all about. 
and yet he proclaimed himself to be a believer. And he began to realize after the change in Marcia and I that there was never the change in him. And so he had moved to churches for another reason. I won't go into that because, again, sin is sin is sin, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And was at that church, there was someone who gave his testimony from the pulpit. You get what I'm saying, right? And he got saved. He submitted unto God. There are people who look like they're doing, seems like they're doing the right stuff. But they're not his. So it doesn't marvel me when there are people who, who walk away from, quote-unquote, the faith. Because in the end, they really never had. After, oh, next picture. I made myself little black dots to remember when I was supposed to hit my button. After the individual departs from this life, they are then given an inheritance in heaven, which has been reserved for them from the time that they believed in God's plan and trusted in him for their deliverance. First Peter 1, 3-5, did I give that? Praise be to In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into his inheritance <clears throat> that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This, is the, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation uh, uh, that has, is ready to be revealed in the last of times. Amen. We're going to talk about that verse, hopefully, Lord willing, in just a moment. We got, I don't know how we're going to do this, guys. Um, I'm looking at that clock thing, and there is no way. Um, yeah, two weeks. Yeah, two months. Anyways, so the deliverance, that inheritance includes the, comp the completion of the transformation into the image and likeness of Christ, Okay. We'll talk about that again in a moment. At that moment, when I die, this is what happens. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And this shell goes away, and I get to be in the presence of God with those others who have done the same. As Isaiah and John both were able to have the privilege of seeing into the throne room of God. It was a place where the fullness of God was declared. And in both of those places, there was a reason why we sang what we sang today. In both of those occasions, when someone had a glimpse into the throne room of God, what was it that those closest to him sang? Holy, holy, holy. In the Hebrew... When you said something once, it was important, because words were important. I can't get into that right now, but that's huge by itself. So if you said it twice, it was very important. So Jesus said, truly, truly, amen, 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 I say to you. That means what? This is really true. Pay attention. But when you said it three times then, it was a superlative. It was a superest thing that you could do. He is not just holy. He's not just holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. He is set apart, set apart, set apart. 
and I believe that gets us into, yes, this concept of sanctification. What the word means. In the Greek, it's the word hagios. In the Hebrew, it's kadesh. They both mean the same thing. A lot of times we translate these as morally pure or pure or what. It's not what it means. It, it, by distinction, by definition, it, it becomes that. But it means to be separated from everything else, to be separate from everything that is common. So in that way, you be are pure. Does that make sense? Because you're not with those things. And so think of the concept of clean and unclean. God is set apart, set apart, set apart. And it's so his personality, it's his character then that defines what we are set apart to. In 1 Corinthians, oh, so just the term right away, I'm not going to go into all that, just to show you that this word is used many times it describes things that are set apart you have set the holy spirit so that's the what the set apart, set apart spirit you get it okay angels they're the set apart angels as opposed to the what the common angels the bad angels okay which are the demons we refer to right you have the set apart apostles the set apart brethren the set apart calling the set apart child the set apart city the set apart commandment the set apart covenant the set apart faith the set apart father the set apart ground the set apart kiss in other words it's not <laughs> common kiss it's a holy kiss it's a set apart kiss okay a holy man holy mount a holy place or set apart place set apart prophets set apart scriptures do you get what i'm saying this book we refer to as the holy what bible the word bible is the greek word biblios and so it just means book Okay? But the word holy is the word hagios, hagios biblios. It is the book, the biblios, that is what? Set apart from all other books. It's not a common book. It's a holy book. It's a sanctified book. It's a consecrated book. It's a set apart book. Okay? So, in that then, this concept of our holiness, our sanctification, our set apartness is embedded in our um, in our calling, there are three aspects of sanctification, which I skipped past. Okay, there is positional sanctification, there is practical sanctification, and then there's perfected sanctification. Positional sanctification is what happened in as we talk about salvation, that at that moment you were sealed and you were set apart. It, it's it's a done deal. It, it, and it's embedded right in the terms that are used of you and me. So 1 Corinthians 1, 1 and 2 says, Paul called to be an apostle. Literally, it's a called apostle. Okay? So when you bring that together in the Greek, it really is a called apostle. Paul, who was a called apostle, okay, of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified. Literally, though, it's a, past, uh, a perfect past participle, okay? To those who have been set apart. If you've been here long enough, you understand the concept of a perfect verb is that it's something that's happened in the past and it has a continuing result. To those who have been set apart. You have been set apart. You may not feel like it, but if you're his... He's taken you, and he set you apart. He did it. You didn't do it. You may be struggling against it, but he said, that's what I've done with you. To those who have been set apart 
in Christ Jesus called saints. If you look at the, um, the 2B here, and 2B here, they're in a title gray. If you look at the King, New King James, King James, New American Standard, you're going to see that they're in italicies in your version. Why? Because they're not there in the Greek. Okay? You're not called to be saints. You are saints. And again, the word saint is that hagioi. You are set apart ones. You have been set apart, and now you are given the calling of being set-apart ones. In God's eyes, that's who you are. You are set-apart ones, the ones who have been set apart. That's why the church is called the ecclesia. We are the group which are called out from, called out from the world. You are set-apart ones. With all who in every place call on the name of the Lord. So set-apart ones, saints, 61 times in the New Testament. That's what you're called. That's what it means. So the whole Roman thing, you know, where someone becomes sainted, that's ridiculous. No, you are Saint John, if you know Jesus Christ your Savior. I'm going to assume that for a moment. But here sits Saint John. I know Jesus Christ, so I'm Saint Bob. Isn't that kind of cool? Wouldn't it be kind of cool walking around saying, hey, Saint Jonathan, hey, Saint, you know, and, and people are like, huh, huh, this is really weird. Anyways, we don't do that, but we recognize the fact that it's God who what? Who did it. He set us apart, embedded in the calling. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a set-apart calling, a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Again, I did nothing, nothing to attain this honor. He did it all. Before time began. Isn't that kind of cool? Before he ever made the... In Sunday school, we're doing Genesis, right? We're going through creation. Before Genesis 1-1, before God made that block of clay and stuck it on the potter's wheel, he already had you in mind. Isn't that kind of cool? He already knew the plan. He already knew he was going to make man, and man was going to sin, and that, that Jesus would come and, do, and die for us. And that the Holy Spirit would have to woo you, or will you draw you to himself. It's cool stuff. Romans 1, 5 to 7, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. Literally, it's an apostolic called one, right? So he's got this calling, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ, literally a Jesus Christ called one, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called saints, set apart called ones. Do you get it? I'm just, I'm overwhelming you, hopefully, with Scripture at this moment. That's who you are. You are a set-apart, called one. God has called you through the Holy Spirit. All you did was what? Believe. Believe. Yeah, 100%. That's it. I believe. That's it. Everything else is God's. God made the plan. God's the one who's performing the work in you. All I did at the moment was believe. And again, we can get into the details of how that belief happened. I don't know. That's the mystery. I don't know where, how eternal, the eternal and the, and the finite come together. That's beyond Bob's pay grade. Okay? All I know is at that moment, that's all I, Bob did. Bob believed. God did everything else. Does it make sense? Big sandwich. Romans 8, 28. 
we saw that already, who are the according to his purpose called ones. How cool is that? that? Literally, that's what it says. The according to his purpose called ones. That's who we are. 1 Corinthians 1.24, to those who are the called. Uh, Chuck read that earlier today. Those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks. We are the called. Called for a purpose. Called to be set apart. Well, it's established then by our cleansing. I'm going to fly Okay, because I don't really have the time to go through this, but I have, I got seven pages of verses here, guys. Okay, and we don't have time to go through all this, but we saw First John two one to two, First John four ten. He's the propitiation for our sins, not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Okay, these passages in Hebrews, I challenge you to to go and read them. Okay, it talks about again. We saw Hebrews nine. Okay, in there as well, how Jesus came and he paid. Legally, this is a legal, lawful uh, situation that's happened. It's you going into the courtroom, and you have a fine to pay that you cannot pay, and someone else stands up and comes and says, I'll pay it for them. It's allowed. Somebody else can do that for you. You couldn't do it on your own. You owe a million dollars. But then all of a sudden, this guy from the back who has multi-millions or whatever comes up and says, "I'll, I'll pay that for him. But it's better than that. I got that fee that I can't pay, and nobody's there to intercede for me. And so the judge stands up. He takes off his robe. And he comes down and says, but I'll pay the fine. He issued the fine. He was the one who determined the fine. He's the one who proclaimed the fine. That's God. But he's also the one who then came down and what? Paid the fine. It's a legal propitiation. It was then proclaimed with a judicial declaration. So in Romans 8, what we read from there as well about God's predestined purpose for us to be conformed to the image of his son. Can anybody quote what comes next? And those whom he did what? Anybody quote it? Those we also who called, he also what? Not sent by yet. Those he foreknew. I would actually have us turn the Bible here and there. So I want everybody to see this. This is important. Romans 8. Because we can quote Romans 8.28. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to the purpose. Okay, well, that's really good. So look at what else it says about you. Huh? Well, yeah, but we're going to keep going further past that. Okay? Okay? Okay. For, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. We talked about that. That's God's predestined purpose for you. That's the whole concept of sanctification. That his purpose for you is to be conformed to the image of Christ. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now verse 30 though. Moreover, whom he predestined, those he also called. Those he called, he also what? Justified. Justified. And those he justified, those he also are those past, present, or future verbs? They're not present. Did you say present? No, they're not present. Look at what they say. They're past. They're past tense. He justified you. It, it may have. You may feel the, me- the the things right now, but it's a done deal. You are justified. And this is, makes it even further blowing your brain if you can. 
you already are glorified. You just haven't what? Experienced it yet. Do you get it? It is a done deal. God judicially has made a declaration about who you are. He took you. He set you apart. He justified you. And you are glorified. I am in heaven right now. I just haven't experienced it. Oh, how I yearn. How I yearn for my faith to be sight. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Not because of all, but because of God. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 6 tells me that I am the temple of God. I am right now. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside me. He seals me into the day of redemption. Do you get it? God is living inside of me. If you know him as your Savior, God's living inside of you. That blows my brain. And God, though he allowed his temple to be destroyed on the earth, think about this, was still faithful. It's still his holy place. Do you get that? He let the structure be destroyed. So 1 Corinthians 5 says about the man who was living in sin with his father's wife, something that the Gentiles didn't even do. Paul says, therefore I judge him. Hand him over to Satan so his flesh will be destroyed, but his what? Soul will be saved. Do you get it? You can't lose your eternal life. You can destroy this body because of the decadence that you continue to live in. God wants you to be sanctified. God wants you to be set apart. And he holds true. He holds fast to his statement. And that is the final part in this part. You're preserved by a faithful God. So 1 Peter 1, 4, which Kathy, I think you just read. You read the first three verses. Um, we go to verse 4. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved, guarded, tereo, guarded. It's guarded in heaven for you. Lord willing, in a couple weeks from now, Anna and I are going to go to uh, Branson to see College of the Ozarks. I'm going to, Lord willing, we're going to stay in Clinton, Arkansas, which is two hours from it, on the way there. We're going to stay at a hotel near, Branson, uh, near Sight and Sound in Branson that, that night that we're in town. And then, Lord willing, we're going to stay at a Hampton Inn on the east side of Birmingham, Alabama, um, on the way back. I've already paid for those reservations. Does it make sense? I have what? Reservations. When I get to that hotel in Clinton, Arkansas, what do I expect? I expect a room. Yeah. They, they have my name on a docket. It's in the Lamb's Book of Life, if you would. Does that make sense? And there's a room prepared for me. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many rooms, many mansions, right? I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will what? I will come again and receive you unto myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. Isn't this kind of cool? God has a reservation for you in heaven, if you know him. You didn't even put the down payment down. Isn't that kind of cool? You're going to finish this out. All right, Mark. There we go. Okay, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, again, we're told it's preserved. For Jude 1, 1, we are the guarded called ones. We are the guarded called ones, is literally what it says. How cool is that? 
You've been set apart and guarded. 1 John 5, 11 to 13. These things that you made that you have eternal life. Okay? So really kind of cool. In the end, I'm going to skip this part because we can talk about this. I'll come back to it again next week. Okay? I want to end though. Skip, ignore all this. We're going to come, we'll do this next week. I want to end with Romans 12. There we go. Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. What do I do in the result? As, as a result of all this information I just received. There's nothing else I can do. I need to offer myself as a living sacrifice. How can I not offer myself to the one who has done so much for me? I, I just, can I be, can I be honest? Yeah, of course you can be honest. Okay, good. It boggles my brain when I see people who, who, who aren't willing to give everything. Who, who say that they understand what Jesus did for them. And they're still holding on to everything. And they're not willing just to let it go. Man, he, he owns everything. I, I did nothing. And he's just done nothing but bless my socks off over and over and over again. You'll find out when you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, you'll never ever think about it being a living sacrifice. I've never felt like I've sacrificed anything. And he says it's your reasonable what? Act of worship. It's just what's there. So, in the end, have you freely received? Have you received a free gift of salvation offered by God to those created in his image and likeness? If not, why? 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 I mean, that just boggles my brain. Because I want to go to hell. No, this is stupid. It's free. Are you willing to offer yourself as a living sacrifice to the one who sacrificed himself for you? Again, I ask the question, if not, why? Why? Give it all. Just lay it all on the line for him right now. Just say, God, take everything, man, everything. Everything I am, take it all. You got it all. You know the hardest thing for me to Bob give up years ago was my music. I gave up my family. That was pretty easy. Yeah. You got my wife, you got my kids. Got to, you know, but, but my music was really hard for Bob to give up. Bob clung to his music. Music was his life. And God was patient with Bob, eradicating his music. So I don't know what it is that you're clinging on to, but I get it. I get it. There's, there's, but man, all I can do is tell you, when you get done with clinging on to things, there is so much that God has for you. Is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for your calling upon our lives. Lord, that you desire for man to have fellowship with you, to be set apart. Lord, you've done all this work in order for us to be that. Lord, help us to desire to be living sacrifices to you, to be sanctuaries of your, of your grace to be set apart ones, truly, so that the world would see, Lord, that you are the great I am. They would see something different in us. They would see your working, your power, your might, your holiness, your set-apartness. And they would want what they see. Help it to be beautiful in us, Lord. Help us not to be judgmental. In Jesus' name, amen.